Mi gente, hello, and welcome to Kika's Corner. My name is Kika Matos, and I am your host. Uh, the goal for this show is to focus on interesting topics and people, social justice issues, and maybe a scandal or two. But always, 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 whatever we talk about will always have a New Haven edge. Just a few blocks away from the studio we're in today is a church that looks like any other church in the city. Walk by it, and nothing in particular will grab your eye. It just looks like a church. But inside that church is a man who's been living there for nearly three months now. His name is Marco Lopez, and he's an immigrant who's been living in the U.S. for 21 years. He is married with three kids. And if Marco were so much as to step an inch outside of that church, he could be immediately detained and deported. About 30 minutes away in Meriden, there's a church that also looks like any other ordinary church. Inside that church, there too lives a man who sought sanctuary about three weeks ago. His name is Suhitno Sajuti. He is 68 years old, and he's been living in the U.S. for over 30 years. Like Marco, if Suhitno decides to go for a walk around the block with his wife or by himself, he can be picked up by Immigration and Customs Enforcement and deported back to Indonesia, a country he last visited over three decades ago. So today we're going to talk about a topic that's new to many in this city and that people don't often talk about. And that topic is the faith-based sanctuary movement that's taking place and growing not just in New Haven, but around the state. What is faith-based sanctuary? Why are churches, synagogues, and mosques opening their doors to fleeing immigrants? And what is life like for those living in sanctuary? Uh, with me this afternoon is uh, one of the leaders of the faith-based sanctuary movement in Connecticut and two New Haven advocates, badass advocates, who've been working for two people now in sanctuary, the two people I mentioned, Marco and Suhitnu. Uh, on the phone, because you heard his ankle, we have Rabbi Herbert Brockman of the congregation Mishkan Israel. And with me in the studio today are Jesus Morales Sanchez of Unidad Latina Nacion. Hi, Jesus, and welcome. Hello, thank you. And we have Alok Bat of the Connecticut Immigrant Rights Alliance, a recent transplant to New Haven, and he lives in my neighborhood of Fairhaven, because uh, Alok knows that New Haven's where it's at. <laughs> Welcome, Alok, and thanks for being with us. Appreciate you for having us. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I'm going to get started with um, Rabbi Brockman. Let's start with you. Um, I'm wondering if you can tell us what faith-based sanctuary uh, is and what's been happening in Connecticut around sanctuaries since the election uh, of the new president um, last November? Thank you, Kika. I'm, I apologize for not being able to be with you, but uh, it, this was a sudden accident. And I, I, anyway, um, and I really appreciate and I, I miss being with all of you. Um, uh, so actually, uh, it's, it started for me with um, a kind of interfaith uh, service that we do around Thanksgiving, and it followed, as you said, the, the election. And a group of clergy were standing around, and we began talking about a growing concern um, for what might happen um, come January, and, and that is that among us, we know live our neighbors and people we work with and people that come to our houses of worship. 
um, and um, and the fear that things would change with respect to uh, immigrants that were, and that's what I'm talking about, immigrants that are in our community, documented and undocumented. Um, the fear that was rising is what would result from it, and how we as religious people um, could could focus some our energy on or what we could do uh, about that and we recognize that um, sanctuary the idea of sanctuary goes back as early as the bible itself it's part of our tradition uh, it's not by accident that, that the woman who who wrote that poem that sits on the base of the Statue of Liberty that to welcome people, you know, uh, the huddled masses yearning to be free, that we welcome them to our shores. Um, this was a Jewish woman who had gone down um, uh, there to witness new pe- people coming in, immigrants, new immigrants coming from Europe, um, where there was no documentation that was required. Um, and since the 20s, now more and more is being required, and we wanted, we think that that reflects the best of America. And so we talked about how we should really try and create a kind of coalition, an interfaith coalition. And the interfaith is, is very important to us. And I know that they use the word uh, coalition. I would use the, the term covenant. I, I feel very strongly about being in covenant with the, with the people that I have the privilege to to be a small part of this effort, uh, Jews and Methodists and Unitarians and Pentecostals and people from the UCC community, Lutherans, Roman Catholics. It's an amazing uh, thing. And when I use the word covenant, the very first covenant that we know of was that Keshet, the, um, the rainbow, you know, that the rainbow that God puts in the sky, that multicolored rainbow um, in the sky, uh, and 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 I feel that sense of covenant that we are asking ourselves, you know, what is this America? Is 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 this a home that we're going to be welcoming these people to providing safe harbor um, for them? And certainly, as Jews, we know what it means to be turned away um, during World War II and and even before that. What a tragedy that that led to, and that we had to do something about it. And so in February, we put together a, a meeting, a tra- what was to be a training session, to learn a little more about sanctuary, a little more about accompaniment, the different efforts that um, that 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 we could um, begin to put, uh, that we could be a part of here in Connecticut. Um, and we called for this meeting, and and much to our overwhelming surprise, over 300 people showed up representing 40 different religious uh, communities. And, um, and, and so it showed us that as I looked out, I remember thinking, this is, this is what America is. America isn't those people that's, that stand there and say, no, you can't come in, you don't have the proper papers, you, you know, um, or you have to go back. We're going to break up families and send you back. And, and we just felt this, I mean, I, and I, I know my colleagues who express this constantly, what an honor it is. Um, to be a part of a movement that says, no, this is um, our America, this is the, and this is the America we want to live in. So sanctuary is really fulfilling an ancient covenant um, and doing it in, 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 within its modern needs, you know, in, 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 in what is required these days. And so, Rabbi, what does it actually mean if you're uh, a leader of a, 
of a church or a mosque or a synagogue and you step up and you say, we will offer sanctuary uh, to immigrants, what does it mean? Well, it can mean a number of different things that people, you know, it can mean everything from um, ensuring that, um, you know, that people have, uh, you know, appropriate uh, legal support when they go to hearings, that people accompany them to those hearings, because um, what we have discovered over the last number of months, and, and people who have been working sanctuary actually since uh, the early 2000s, um, that just by going and being present um, is a statement to the hearing officers that are listening to them, and that you know, and that the, we as a community we're not afraid. Just the opposite, we support these people, we love these people. They are part of who and what we are. They're part of our community. That that's an important statement to the hearing officers. Um, that um, we can help provide financial support to them if they should end up in detention. We recently um, had a, a fund raising event for uh, an immigrant bail fund so that they don't have to languish sometimes for months and sometimes up for up to a year even in federal detention waiting for a proper hearing because they don't have the financial resources to bail themselves out to remain with their families while their cases are being adjudicated. Um, and it can mean ultimately um, actually providing the physical space that since the year 2011, there has been an understanding with uh, with the customs uh, officers that there will be certain locations considered sensitive locations, um, and that those locations are primarily houses of worship, in addition to schools and hospitals. Um, unfortunately, the most tragic recent incident of this young ten-year-old girl with cerebral palsy, we find that even hospitals. Um, are not, um, you know, that they don't always follow um, their memorandum of understanding, which was promulgated in 2011. But pretty much we have found that they've not, they have respected the houses of worship as a, as a place that they will allow. And so people who decide, individuals that decide that they would, they need more time to, to allow the legal process to, to continue, that we will provide them uh, physical space where, where they can feel safe, where their families can come and visit with them, that, and that we will be there accompanying them on this very frightening journey, I'm sure, that, that they feel they're on, and, and, and that we as Americans want them to feel welcome in our communities. So under this administration, we've had more and more um, people arrested. Um, yes. Trump is wanting to deport about 3 million people. And so um, advocates and faith-based leaders have been preparing, as you said, Rabbi Brockman, for the last eight months in case um, there were an immigrant or a family of immigrants wanting sanctuary. Uh, and the first case that, uh, that we worked on collectively was the case of Nuri Chavarria. I want to talk yeah. a little bit about her before pivoting to Marco Lopez. Um, in part because all of us were involved, and that was our first um, our first trial run, so to speak, um, of our ability to offer sanctuary. And for those of, of you who have not heard about Nuri, uh, Nuri is originally from Guatemala. She came to the U.S. when she was 19, spent 24 years here. She has three U.S. citizen kids, 
and I think it's four U.S. citizen four, kids. Yeah. Yes. Right. Um, and when she went to her annual ICE uh, visit, um, she expected that they were going to renew her papers for one more year, and she took her nine-year-old little girl, Haley, with her, and when she had her meeting, instead of getting her paper stamped, the ICE officer instead um, strapped an ankle bracelet on her and in front of her little girl told her that she had one month to leave the country and it was the day that she was scheduled to leave the country that um, Nuri fled to the Iglesia de Dios Pentecostal in Fairhaven and um, was in sanctuary for a week while the lawyers worked to uh, try to get her some relief from deportation and the activists worked to call attention to her case and faith-based leaders led the moral charge uh, to make sure that our communities were aware of um, of what was happening. Um, as you reflect back, and we'll start with you again, Rabbi, and then turn to Jesus and Alok, what, as you reflect back on this first case that we worked on, what what are you left with? As we're now in, in uh, November, Nuri uh, was able to get a stay of deportation from the Hartford judge. Um, what was your main experience or your takeaway from that experience in July? You know what reminded me of it, and I'm going to say this, and probably it may be impolitic to do that. Uh, it was like Charlottesville. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's the obligation to fight against hate. It's a fee and fear, um, and, and uh, it made absolutely no sense for this mother who had committed no crimes, who had been here for more than two decades, who was contributing not only to her family but to the larger community. There was absolutely no reason for it. But fear and hate can make you do things. And we, and when we were together, when we were standing together, whether it was marching or singing, listening to the music, um, or meeting with, I mean, I have to be honest, I'd never met a Pentecostal minister before. Um, but talking and being with Pastor Otero and, and how powerful the, a sense of unity we all felt was so powerful. It was exactly the same as the ministers and rabbis that went down to Charlottesville to defend the community against people who, who are filled with hate and, and, and fear of the other, to say that's what makes our country great. And, and standing there, I was so proud of being part of this community. It was quite extraordinary. And when I reflect on that, I think it's the same thing. I, I think I reject the idea that it is the responsibility of our government to not promote love and, and, and a sense of community with other human beings. And, um, and it, it made me very proud to be, as I said, even a small part of, of that undertaking. And I, and I will continue to believe that we need to continue to do this until we find victory in, 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 you know, against the forces of, of hate and anger. You know, and I, I can't imagine why they would pick on someone like, like Nuri Chavarria other than, um, other than, you know, than people filled with fear and hate. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know how else to express it. Jesus? <clears throat> yeah, so, I mean, I think that after our experience with Nuri, there's just like these 
sense of hope. And that was something that at least personally had been I had been losing, you know, since the election. I was like thinking, what are we gonna do? Mm-hmm. And um <clears throat> I knew that things were gonna get tougher and tougher, but just, you know, having that first example of what can we do if we act collectively and what can we do if we actually go and seek our communities for help and what can we do united as you know this this community that we are you know what is it that we're capable of achieving Mm -hmm. and nuri was that perfect example and it was that perfect case Mm -hmm. that you know just raised everyone's morale like we can fight back we can um work towards our communities we can just do something and not sit back and just wait for our families and our communities to keep being ripped apart so i think that that's kind of like my biggest takeaway Mm -hmm. just like that immense uh sense of hope and 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 uh just like that spirit to keep fight fighting yeah what about you alak i really have to um reinforce um jesus's comments and just that uh after that experience, just the overwhelming feeling of, of encouragement and, and bewilderment, um, we saw that even in spite of these structural powers that are meant to destabilize our communities, destroy our families, um, destroy us, these are institutionalized forms of, of, of violence against us, the people, mm-hmm. we saw that through just coming together and individuals playing particular roles and just having the community coalesce and be very intentional about demonstrating their will against the things that are happening to not only Nuri and her family or the immigrant community, but to all of us, ultimately, that we can effectuate positive outcomes against these powers that seem so, that's so overwhelming. Um, and having had the, the, the privilege of just kind of playing the cut in Nuri's particular case and just being present at the meetings and not necessarily being very active um, and effectuating much, but just observing how things are going and watching how the mechanics and the logistics were developing, and just that immense tension from the beginning from from her attorney being very um, exacerbated and just frustrated at the idea that these you know these radicals were taking her client away and, and stealing her way into a into a church, and just all the confusion and the chaos, the way we were able to cut through it and organize it and then create a foundational model for how to do this moving forward. Um, and we've done it more than once. Yes. Um, that that is incredible, and each experience definitely entails its own challenges. But look at our team, you know. Yeah, and we'll get to that now. Uh, you're listening to Kika's Corner on WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio, broadcast at 103.5 FM and live streamed at newhavenindependent.org. So Jesus. Yes. Late July, we get the word after. Six days that Nuri got a stay of deportation, and we celebrated, and um, we turned our attention back to the struggle. And then six days later, I think we all get a. I got a call from John Lugo. I think he got a call from you saying there's another uh, a family that's uh, seeking sanctuary, and um, you are the person who stepped up uh, on Marcos's case and has been. Uh, leading on the advocacy efforts. Tell us a little bit about Marco's story and why he sought sanctuary in New Haven. Yeah, so Marco and like overall the Reyes family, they just came um, to Ula. So, sorry, he's been here for 19 years, is that right? He's been here 
for 20 okay. since 1997 okay um and i mean they came to ula um just seeking help they you know they were they just very similar to nuri they had had um states of removal for about 10 years after an incident during a vacation in which you know they were caught by border patrol and um so it was a very interesting case because all of a sudden we're not seeing, you know, with Nuri, it was like a very interesting dynamic. She was like a single mother of four, but this time it was an entire family. It was a very united family. And, um, you know, it's it obviously that changes the dynamics of, of yeah. things a lot. So we started a, a public campaign trying to get attention to Marco's case um, in between, you know, that public campaign and, you know, the beginning of that public campaign and uh, the point where Marcus sought sanctuary, he had to change legal representation. There are a few things here and there. Um, and we were trying to work with the family. We, um, unfortunately, you know, it got to a point in which uh, it was the day before mm -hmm. and Marco was ready to go. He was ready to just say, you know what? I think this is it. Mm -hmm. um, fortunately, that night... Um, when he was supposed to be packing up and getting ready to go to the airport, uh, a good friend of our organization went and talked to him and said, hey, you know, I was in a similar situation. And for some reason I said, okay, you know what? Let's give it a try. Let's fight this case. You know, what do we have to lose? And thank goodness, you know, that was all I needed to do. So, you know, somehow he worked his magic with Marco and Marco said, I'm not giving up just yet. So I remember the night that uh, it was a Monday night. Uh, we're ready. Uh, you know, we had our weekly meeting. I was ready to write. You know, I, I wrote the press release saying, you know, uh, father of three from married and deported under this uh, tyrant administration. Mm -hmm. And I was like very furious because I had already formed that bond with yeah. the family. I had been working for them with them for a couple of weeks. And uh, I was very upset when I get a phone call from Jun Lugo saying, oh, by the way, guess what? You might need to change the, the press release. He's, you know, he's staying. You know, he's staying. And since, since that day, you know, August 8th, it's been, you know, nonstop. Just how can we make sure that this man, this man that, you know, has been working for 20 years to do nothing but provide for his family, um, this man who has, you know, he's he's kind of like the embodiment of like, you know, that that you know ideal family and his mm -hmm. family. They're they're all very close. They're very united. They're a wonderful, beautiful family. You know, how can we make just? You know, how can we achieve justice for them? Yeah. How can we achieve justice for his twelve-year-old daughter mm -hmm. who's just getting into seventh grade? Yeah. You know, she needs her her dad. Yeah. Um. So it's been it's been quite a a, a journey, and unfortunately. It has not been, you know, short-lived as, as, as Nuri's case. Right. Uh, as you were mentioning at the beginning, Marco has been um, at the church for almost three months. In fact, I believe this Wednesday is the three-month mark mm -hmm. um, since he entered the First and Summerfield United Methodist Church. Um, and, you know, it, it, it is tough. It is a difficult decision, and that's something that we've been experiencing. This is like uncharted territory yeah. for us. Because with Nuri, she was in sanctuary for a week. 
now we're seeing kind of like the effects on the long term sure and you know with that come you know comes like new challenges and new things that we need to overcome um but you know slowly but surely you know the family has been a great support network the people from the congregation have been nothing but wel welcoming mm -hmm. um you know there's you know this you know generosity that personally i thought had been long lost in humanity yeah. that you know all of a sudden is coming up and it's people not only you know the, the not only do, are they willing to help they're asking to help they're they're you know it's almost like you know please notice me i want to help you so it's it's, it's a very very heartwarming situation um and i guess it's the silver lining to these you know unfortunate situation that you know that we have to get to this point um just to protect our own communities and our own families um, before we turn it over to Alec to talk to us a little bit about um, Suhitno's case, um, what's it like for someone to to be in sanctuary for that length of time? Um, and I, I know Marco is a carpenter by trade, um, had been working for, like you said, for decades, and all of a sudden his life is disrupted. He's in a space that's not his. He can't step foot outside of the church, so in many ways... Um, He's captive to the walls of that church, but those are his only options if he wants to stay in the country for now uh, while his lawyers fight for him. But t tell, and, and I know you spent a lot of time with Mark on his family, and you've spent many nights <laughs> sleeping on at first in summer fields. So talk to us a little bit about the challenges of being in sanctuary. So, as you were saying, you know, this is not his space, this is not his house. He's not sleeping on his bed. You know, what, um, there's a saying in Spanish, aunque la jaula sea de oro, uh, no deja de ser prisión. So even if the if the cage is made out of gold, it's still a prison. So um, he Marco is a very hardworking man. He's used to like getting up in the morning and earning a living for him and his family. And um, all of a sudden, getting that disrupted is a very very stressing um, situation. So we've seen you know him being stress that there's nothing to do but at the same time you know people in the congregation and you know the church itself you know they have asked if he would be willing to do smaller things and bigger things mm -hmm. so within a week of him being there he offered you know to build a shower because that wow. was one of the pieces um that was missing in the facilities just enough a working a working shower and within like two or three days he had built a shower uh, all the plumbing, all the carpentry, all the details, all the paint. It was like, it's 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 a shower that is more beautiful than the one that I have at home. <laughs> like, <laughs> I prefer to shower there than at home now. <laughs> but, um, and then along with that, you know, he's painted the basement. Uh, he's helped us with a few projects. This Day of the Dead Parade, we had a whole, like, um, squad of uh, soldaderas. You know, these revolutionaries. Did he build the rifle? He built wow, the rifles from wood, just like wow. out of scratch. We just gave him the wood and the paint, and he worked the magic on that wood. And like, you know, it, we've been trying to get him, you know, to be occupied. We are asking people to go and visit him, talk to him. He's a wise person, mm -hmm. and you know, he likes to talk. Um, so yeah, we've been asking just you know Yale students. Uh, we've been asking people from the community come and you know, hang out and you know just you know let's build that community. Let's build that. You know, let's keep on move, uh, building on this movement mm -hmm. because, you know, just like with Marco, you know, there's a lot of other people's uh, uh, stories that we don't know about and right. that, 
you know, everyone can benefit from and like, can learn so much from. Mm -hmm. um, we had a Yale professor actually give one of his classes there at the church with Marco and his family. That's great. Um, and so it was, you know, it's been, it's been an interesting back and forth between, you know, being stressed and just, you know, being in that church 24-7. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we've been trying to, like, make up for it by having activities and other stuff going on at the same time. Okay. You know, we had an open mic, a concert, we had all this stuff. Cool. So, yeah. Uh, and Alok, uh, tell us a little bit about Sujitno. Suhitno. He's been in sanctuary now. It's our third case since when? Suhitno went to sanctuary on the night of October 9th, which was uh, the night before he was ordered, before he had, um, before his flight was supposed to leave from JFK to Indonesia. And um, so Suhitno's case is, um, uh, the process was a little bit similar to how we ended up in sanctuary. You know, Suhitno has been getting stays of removal since about 2013. Um, he, he had um, overstayed a voluntary departure and which he was given after he had to register with the federal government, being um, being um, a Muslim from a uh, male immigrant from a Muslim majority country. In 2002, there was a special registration program, and he was told that if he registered for this program, that he might have a path to a green card. So he registered for the program at the federal building in Hartford, and instead of receiving any kind of paperwork, you know, to facilitate any kind of status process, um, he was given a notice to appear to court, and uh, immigration proceedings were enacted against him um and because his, his wife who is his only only family in the united states and um there's just a uh there wasn't a clear path for him to gain any sort of um legal status and this is where he's built his home this is where he's an educator it's where he's an activist he's very involved in the interfaith and multicultural um community around connecticut um he and he himself is an activist as an activist for, for immigrants rights so this is um uh we're supporting the case of, of an individual who has dedicated his life to supporting the community. So we're going we're gonna to support him. And we'll keep fighting for him. We are running out of time, but before we end, um, I want to ask each of you a question. I usually have three, but I don't think Harry's going to let us go to that l length of time. My question for each of you, and we'll start with um, Alok. If you could pick a superhero power, what would it be? Um, if I could pick a superhero power, yeah. I would... Um, yeah, tough question. um i would i would like the ability to to read people's minds i'd like to ability the ability to read people's minds because i think there's a lot of disconnects in the way people um think and how they behave upon those actions and i think if there's some easier way to see what what triggers individuals you might have some leeway into um transforming the way we think about not only our environment and ourselves but um, as our society. Jesus? Um, well, if you're familiar with Avatar The Last Airbender, waterbending. And that's <laughs> mainly because water is just such a powerful element. It's healing and it's relaxing and it's calm. And I feel like that's something that we all need every, every so often because we forget to do that. So being able to control water and get that done, that would be, that would be fantastic. And Rabbi Brockman? I guess it would be the... the uh, <clears throat> Courage. Um, I would like to to be able to, you know, have the courage enough to to stand up against um, 
Like, like, see, my superheroes are from 25, 40 years ago. So Superman, who had the courage and the power and the strength to, to overcome evil and to, you know, and to have the courage to be able to do that. Because sometimes I, yeah, you, I lack that, and I want to have more of it. Thank you very much. Uh, and I want to thank our audience. You've been listening to Kika's Corner uh, on WNHH 103.5 FM. I want to thank uh, Rabbi Brockman for joining us. I want to thank Jesus Morales Sanchez from Unida Latina en Acción. And I want to thank Alec Bach from Connecticut Immigrant Rights Alliance. Until the next time, here's wishing you justice, solidarity, and many days of sunshine.